In today's first reading, David is so excited to have the Ark of the Lord in Jerusalem that he dances with all his might around it, in front of everyone, girded with a linen ephod. That is a priestly garment, a sort of a sleeveless robe open at the sides that may have actually looked like a miniskirt once it was cinched at the waist. Some scholars believe that David was wearing nothing else underneath. Others insist that all David had on were his tidy whiteies, a loincloth, and he gyrated so hard that even those fell to the ground. Regardless of what he was wearing, the reason for David's ecstasy was that the presence of God now dwelt with him and his people once more. The Ark of the Covenant was a physical reminder of God's promise to always abide with them as their Lord and protector. So how could David not dance? And how could they not feast on meat and on raisin cakes? This was a big deal. All was right with the world because God was finally back home with the people of Israel. Now, biblical scholars have argued for centuries about which dance David actually did that day. The inductive analytical school of biblical scholarship believes that David danced the robot. The systematic mystics insist that it was the cabbage patch. And of course, the allegorical school will forever maintain that David was in fact voguing. Recent archaeological findings outside Jerusalem now have many convinced that David was actually doing the Dougie. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was not actually the Dougie. <laughs> the fact is, we may never know what he danced. But the point is, David was filled with a passionate love for God. So he was dancing with abandon, kind of sexy, maybe a little too passionate. And his wife, Michal, despised him for it. Like any good Episcopalian, she found it unseemly, over-emotional, and thought he was kind of prancing about naked before all and making a fool of himself. She later told him so. How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants' maids, as any vulgar fellow might shamelessly do. But David replied, I have danced before the Lord and will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in my own eyes. But by the maids of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. By contrast, the dance in today's gospel reading is tinged with, well, shades of incest. Biblical commentaries have all kinds of background info on this incident, but I have distilled the story to its essence for you today. Herod Antipas left his first wife to marry Herodias, his sister-in-law, while she was still married to his brother Philip. 
That's a no-no. So John the Baptist publicly calls him on it and shames him. Well, that really upsets Herodias, and she wants him dead for speaking out. But Herod fears and respects the prophet and only puts him in prison. In the meantime, Herod throws himself a lavish birthday party. Ostensibly a Jew, he nonetheless breaks all kinds of Jewish cultural laws, getting trashed and allowing his 13-year-old niece, also named Herodias like her mother, so let's just call her Salome for today, allowing his 13-year-old niece Salome to dance for them. Well, that's a no-no too. Because banquets in those days, you know, they were segregated into male and female sections, and it was really improper for him to have a female come to the male end of the banquet hall. Not to mention disgraceful to have her be one of his own family members who's dancing. But she does, and she dances. And Herod gets so worked up, for she pleased Herod and his guests, that he promises to give her anything she wants, even up to half of his kingdom. Now, you and me, if we were in that position, might have said, okay, I'll take half your kingdom. <laughs> I'll give four-fifths away of it to charity and keep the last fifth for my retirement. But Salome, flushed with all the attention and probably not really understanding the sexual undertones of what was going on, consults her mother Herodias who now sees her chance, asks for the head of John the Baptist. Now, in any normal family, that might seem like an odd request. Salome might have countered with something like, can't I have a pony instead? But this family's a bit more dysfunctional than most. So she returns to the male end of the banquet hall and tells her uncle slash stepfather, I'd like the head of John the Baptist, please, on a platter. That sobers Herod up right quick. But you know, when you vow an oath in front of your guests and your followers, you cannot back out of it. You are honor-bound to carry it out no matter what. Because not doing so would make others question your veracity in the future, and they would no longer trust you. And so the deed is done. John the Baptist is beheaded. His disciples hear about it. They risk their own necks by coming to ask for the body. And they take John and bury him in a tomb. The dance of David and the dance of Salome do have one thing in common apart from their physicality. They are ecstatic expressions of emotion. But setting is everything. The male gaze of Herod and his drunken guests perverts what, for all we know, might have been a beautiful dance of young Salome into something lust-filled and sexual. David's dance before his people is a celebration of their covenant with God. Salome's dance leads to death, reminded us, reminding us that it's often drunken, lust-filled, prideful louts who rule the world. Still, it's shocking that a fierce visionary like John the Baptist would be killed because of promises made at a debauched birthday party. In the womb of his mother Elizabeth, he leapt for joy at the presence of Jesus in the belly of Mary. 
He was born and grew up and went into the wilderness feral in a coat of camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey. John preached an uncompromising call to repentance while insisting that he was not the Messiah, baptizing hundreds of people desperately longing to hear good news for their lives. John the Baptist was larger than life. So hearing today's gospel shocks us anew with an awful reminder from history that even the most vital and vitalizing among us can be cut down at the whim of the wicked. A few Sundays from now, we'll hear how David himself has a righteous man killed so that his lust for a woman might be satisfied. I'd like to share a short poem by, of all people, the horror writer Stephen King. I read it at a recent memorial service, and I think it's relevant to the message in today's scriptures. We did not ask for this room or this music. We were invited in. Therefore, because the dark surrounds us, let us turn our faces toward the light. Let us endure hardship to be grateful for plenty. We have been given pain to be astounded by joy. We have been given life to deny death. We did not ask for this room or this music, but because we are here, let us dance. Life is a dance. In this world where wickedness holds sway, what steps will you take? Will you use your life to dance before God with all your might? Or will you dance for the world and satisfy your own pleasures? Every hard decision, every painful struggle, every unfulfilled longing in your life is an invitation to dance. Every unmet need in the world is an invitation to dance. How will you participate in your life? Remain a wallflower? Dance stiffly and self-consciously? Or say yes and dance with all your might? We did not ask for this room or this music. They are a gift from God. And because we are here, let us dance.